Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host, Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye. We have a number of people who are talking with today, and definitely we're going to be doing a tribute to Nesby Glasgow. And we're going to go into that with uh, Fred Anderson, a retired Seahawk player. And Reverend Kenneth Ransford Sr. was a, a teammate of his at Gardena High School that won a championship. But before we do all that, uh, Hayward has our first guest that he's going to be talking with right now, uh, who is Bukta. And she is uh, the senior director for uh, equity and inclusion. Okay. Equity and inclusion. Well, uh, Bukta, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me to your program. And no, and thank you for agreeing to come on. Bukta, can you just share um, with our with our listenership uh, who you are, a little bit of your background, and, and your job, your title, the new position at the port, and congratulations for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support. Uh, my name is Bukta Qaysar, and I joined the Port of Seattle in July of 2019, so just six months ago, to create the first-ever Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion for Port of Seattle. Prior to that, I was working in King County in the King County Executive uh, Dow Constantine's office on the equity and social justice team supporting communities of color in King County. Um, And I'm really happy to be here at the port to really build on the leadership of King County, but to really, uh, you know, see the most important priorities for the Port of Seattle. And, in, you know, in the last six months that I've been here, I've held a lot of conversations, roundtables, one-on-one meetings with employees, with about 600 employees I've met. I've also um, held roundtables with community members and have met with 70 community organizations and 200 community members. And basically, I've been asking the question of where are the biggest barriers? What do you want? Is, what's your vision for change? What do you want this office to actually focus on? And what I've been hearing from our community partners is that small business access and capacity building for small businesses jobs and career pathways and workforce development, community partnerships, more visibility of the port in communities, funding nonprofit communities, and structural and systems change are on the top of the mind for our community members. So I'm going about developing a strategy um, that addresses these barriers and really excited to be here. Oh, excellent. Uh, just let me ask you, what are the priorities that have been set based upon those goals? Because that's, that's a lot. Yes, it is so a lot. What are the, the steps that are going to be taken or where, where we're in the process now? Yeah, you know, um, my uh, strategies I see basically divided into three pillars. Number one is really work on internally on systems change looking at cultural transformation to give more access for people of color to in 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 the organizational structure to programs policies and processes more advancement hiring all of these systems change um, so that people of color are, are at the table employees of color i mean are at the table for critical decisions have a voice 
and are partnering in the transformational um, efforts for the organization. The second pillar is focused on providing equitable and tangible benefits to communities. And this year I'm focusing on airport communities, looking at you know, the communities around the airport to look at the top barriers and how can we, um, you know, design programming and make available funding that um, helps to mitigate some of the impact of the airport. And then the third piece is really about building ourselves as a center of expertise, the Office of Equity, so that more and more employees trust and come forward and work with us, more and more community partners understand the role of the port and work with us, and really nationally working with other governments. I'm sure you know that everybody's talking about equity. Everybody is establishing it. I mean, actually, very few are establishing the Office of Equity. A lot of people are you know, building diversity initiatives, hiring one staff, doing some effort. But I think we want to be a part of this wave of change around the country to transform government because changing of government can have tremendous impact for communities of color. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Steve Matrix, the, the, uh, the executive director there at the port. I know that he's truly he established your position, and he's been open to meeting with the community to yes. discuss these issues. So I just want to give him a shout-out. But let's go to uh, pillar number one, that the internal system change. Yes. What type of changes do you see taking place, and, and how are you in terms of that becoming fulfilled? Yeah. You know, I see the basic three steps of normalized equity organize around racial equity and operationalize in that. So for number one, you know, I think a lot of organizations focus on training, and I think training is so important because it does normalize language and brings people on the same page. But we can't stop there because training and diversity and inclusion conversations are very transactional, but they're not transformational. So how do we actually go about systems change and policy change? Training is the first step. But I think we want to see a change at the leadership level by reflecting more of people of color at, at, at these highest levels of the organization to be present, to have a voice, to, to be represented at the table, um, for the commission to be an active voice for the needs and, and values and priorities of communities of color, and then to really organize by uh, building an inside-outside strategy to bring employees together inside who care a lot about issues of race and equity and organize people on the outside and to really connect us all, to build, uh, you know, champions, ambassadors or army, if you will, of people who really want to sign up for this struggle, for this, for this uh, fight and to really commit to the work together. You know, now, for, for me personally, because I know we just had a meeting, and you were there, it was a great meeting with uh, Steve Metrics. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to put my arms around the term racial equity. I don't know if that's proportional or what, but it's so nebulous. Yeah. How, how do you perceive that, or how would you define racial equity in terms of internal and external treatment? Yeah, I, I don't know what is it uh, about that that 
does not resonate for you, Hayward, but I know that for me, one thing is that everybody's talking about equity, and, and everybody means something different. And as I said, I feel like the majority of the times when people use uh, that term, that what they really mean is diversity and inclusion. Like, why don't we hire younger people, more young people, more women, more people of color? But we know, you and I know, and all of your listeners, people of color, women know, that getting hired and starting, that's just one one step in the process. But finding a sense of belonging and being a part of a culture that has been really, uh, that has historically isolated you, but to really find a place of belonging and have voice and be at the table when critical decisions are made, that's the kind of stuff that people of color, even when they get a job finally, they, they find that they're, com- uh, you know, pretty continuously excluded from those spaces. So how do we actually create an organization that mirrors the diversity of our community, instills the principles of race and equity, which, you know, you and I are are people who've been a part long time um, really fighting for these issues, and we know that the vision is really being anti-racist and to implement anti-racism at all levels of the organization. That's a huge amount of work, and we've been talking about it for a lot of years. And you and Mr. Rye, of course, are champions of this, who've been fighting for this for many, many, many years. And it is disappointing that we haven't seen more results, but I'm hopeful because I see more and more people signing on for this now. Well, Bukra, you have you have a lot to say, and you know what? We're not going to wait six months to have yes. you back on. Uh, we'll <laughs> have you. we'll have you on at least once a month. So, because this is very important to our listening audience. Thank you about race, diversity, and inclusion is very very important because we see the numbers, and for African descendants of the United States enslaved, we don't see equity coming to our particular group. Yes. How we're not, you know, saying anything negative about anybody else. We want everybody to have an opportunity. But you would think after 400 years and people dying in every war, people that after yes. Reconstruction, we had over 2,000 uh, public officials, elected officials down south, and one president wiped all that out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the 40 acres of mule never came about. So we'll have you on once a month because you're really in a vital role, and we need to keep our listening audience thank in you. tune because they do listen to us to get information like this. So thank you very much, Buka. I we appreciate, appreciate it. Your, all of your hard work. Thank you so much. Thank you, and you have okay. a beautiful afternoon. Thank you, you too. Okay. Our next guest is Reverend Almost Dr. Kenneth J. Ransford Sr. Uh, he uh, wanted to, I wanted to have him on because he played uh, high school football with Nesby Glasgow, and we feel that it was very fitting to talk about Nesby and his contributions, not only on the field because he was an outstanding athlete, but also what he was doing in the community. And, Pastor, one of the things Nesby did is that he took a proposal back we put together to ask each NFL team to put 10% of their annual revenue in a black-owned bank to also give up 10% of the contracts to the folks that look like the players on the field and also to ask for one-third of the pension fund to be deposited in the bank. And we also be asking the NBA for the same thing. But Nesby Glasgow took that proposal to the NFL Players Association meeting. We haven't heard anything back, but with his death, you know, we might hear something now. So how you doing, sir? I'm in with Hayward Evans, my co-host. So why don't you just share with our listeners, uh, what, I mean, I know all about you. You're one of the stars <laughs> in the civil rights movement. Right. 
always been there since you got here. But why don't you just go ahead and share, give us give our listeners a little background on your relationship with Nesby Glasgow. Oh, thank you. How are you guys doing today? Okay. We're great, sir. Very good. All right. I first of all, my 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 prayers and condolences and and any kind of help that we can give go out to the Glasgow family. Um, uh, Nesby in high school was 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 humble, highly intelligent. Always had this air of integrity mm-hmm. about him. I was a I was a year ahead of him, and um, uh, even as as a, as a tenth, eleventh grader, he was some kind of athlete, but he was some kind of person. And so, on behalf of of, my, of the Ransford family and the Greater Mount Baker Missionary Baptist Church family, uh, our our uh, prayers go out to the Glasgow family. But even in high school, he always had this air of sensibility. Uh, he was always the sensible one in the room, but not in an arrogant way. I mean, he was sensible where it 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 uh, inspired, uh, it, it commanded attention to what he had to say. And so I, I like to tease and say, you know, he was my backup uh, uh, when I, when I was in we were in high school at the uh, Gardena High School championship football team. Uh, and track team. He ran hurdles on tr- in track. And so I like to tease folks and say, yeah, I, he was my backup, so I taught him everything. <laughs> but, but a lot of that was because I was a senior. He could have, he, he should, he, 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 he was already basically a starter. We went in and out together. But um, uh, whenever we had uh, team meetings and so forth, uh, anytime he spoke about what we needed to do, uh, he was in, in his own uh, intellectual uh, and in quiet way, he was able to 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 really be on point with us. That's what I remember about Nesby back in uh, at Gardena High School, Los Angeles, California. We're the only school that took uh, two major sports championships in the same year, football and in track. And I was glad to be a teammate of his uh, in both of those uh, events. Now, uh, Pastor, was it true that you guys were bused to Gardena? That what we were what? Were you guys part of the busing program? Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, I I came. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say confession good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Amen. Let me just say that I had some cousins that lived out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how I got there. Okay. Uh, but uh, exactly, where is Gardena? Where is that happened. located? Where is that located? Is that close to Compton? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a few miles from Compton, uh, uh, Willowbrook area, Banning, uh, Carson, close yeah. to the Carson. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they'll say the Carson Gardena area. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Uh, Dominguez, Dominguez Hills. Yep. Banning, uh, up in that area, Car and. Uh, Compton would be uh, a little further north. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I went to Compton, uh-huh. JC, for oh, a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I used to Centennial and and Compton High used to battle. Oh yeah, and Dominguez Hill. Yep, Dominguez. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then they said when you go to LA, you have to go to Dorsey. <laughs> all the all the fire ones went to Dorsey. <laughs> all the what now? They're talking about the ladies. Oh yeah, no, it, well. Uh, Crenshaw. They said Crenshaw High was the one, but lot quiet as it kept. Uh, uh, Gardena 
was was very cosmopolitan when it came to that area. Okay, well that's good. Mm-hmm. Though. Well, anyway, no, I just wanted to have um, we don't have Fred Anderson on next, but we just we could not let this happen um, and not acknowledge uh, the contributions that Nesby made. And Fred Anderson, the retired Seahawk, also did a lot of work with him in the community. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, uh, that was like I think last uh, maybe last year, August twenty eighth, Nesby came, and the year before he was up in Mount Zion where yeah. we had the event uh, for mm-hmm. August twenty eighth, commemorating the nineteen sixty three March on Washington. So, uh, yeah, Doctor Ransfer. That's uh, when we reconnected. That we reconnected at, 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 at that event. At, at that event. There you go. At there you event. go. So that's that goes to show you how he involved he was in the community, how de- committed and dedicated he was for equity and justice for his people. So, uh, Pastor Ransom, thank you very much, and we're uh, we're gonna have you on when you make the big announcement. I ain't gonna say what it is, but Uh-oh. anyway. Because <laughs> you almost got the doctorate. You know, I'm not saying okay, everything. There you go. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about. I'm talking well, about the they doctorate. Just, they just they just approved my uh today they approved my dissertation and uh uh all is right now it's the oral reviews and graduation so, so i just got word today that my uh doctoral dissertation was approved all right dr oh, ransom so we'll we'll talk to you soon thank you very okay, much thank you okay God bless. okay bye-bye our next guest is uh fred anderson who uh is a retired seahawk the proud holder of two super bowl rings with the pittsburgh steelers and, uh, Fred, we just got a pastor, uh, Kenneth Ransford, played high school football with Nesby at Gardena High School. He just got off the uh, line with us, sharing yeah. some of those memories. <clears throat> and I know that you did, uh, you didn't play together, but you guys are part of the Seahawks organization, and you did a right. lot of community work. So I'd just like to, to have you take a few minutes and share your experience uh, with the late Nesby Glasgow. Yeah, uh, it is. It just it, it comes as. Um, you know, it's, it's heavy on everyone's heart. Uh, you know, and my prayers go out to his, his family. Uh, Nesby uh, is a positive guy in, in spite of his health uh, issues. Mm-hmm. You would never know as Nesby uh, was ill, other than if you look at him, you look at him and say he's lost a little bit of weight. But he was so... Uh, didn't let things bother, you know, and uh, I just have to uh, really think about the times when he would come over to the house here and we'd sit down in the backyard and we'd game plan on some of the uh, the NFL uh, community things, uh, the, the 10% uh, in the Black Bank, uh, how he wanted to be a part of the MLK uh, and on a regular basis, but Nesby would go in for his chemo uh, a couple times a week, and uh, he did what he could, but he didn't let those things uh, get him down. And I just have to really uh, uh, just give him love for everything that he has tried to do. And uh, when he's with the Seahawks, uh, uh, we always like to talk to Nesby because uh, he was just positive, uh, happy to, to be a part of whatever it is that he could do to try to help us make our lives better as a retired player. I mean, he would take our concerns back to uh, D.C., and I'm just really going to be missing him. You know, the last time I, I remember last time I saw Nesby Fred, um, we were playing golf. 
yeah. and he kicked most of the people's behind, oh, mine okay. included. That was just, just this past June, Mount Zion Father's yeah. Day golf tournament. Yeah, yeah. You know, he came uh, out and uh, played with us. You know, he would go in and he'd get that chemo, and um, sometimes he'd come back by the house, and he just it didn't phase him like it, it, uh, like it did some people. And uh, he wouldn't let it get him down. And, uh, and I would talk to him like, hey, man, uh, he didn't want to hear about it. He just wanted to, what, what is it that we need to do to help? And uh, uh, he took his health, and, and uh, he was taking care of it, but he wouldn't let that get him down. Mm-hmm. And I just really, uh, he always had a good frame of mind. Uh, Nedby had a unique smile. He was always, you know, he, he was always in a good mood. And, uh We'd always look for him. We, we'd be at an event over at Seahawks headquarters, and, and uh, you know, I'm looking around. We're looking around for where's Ned, you know, just so we can just say how, how he's doing, and he's always had something uh, good going on. And, and uh, I mean, he really he loved his kids. Mm-hmm. He loved his family. Um, I'm just missing yeah, hey. Well, Fred, before you go, I just want to let you know we really do appreciate all the work you've been doing with the Martin Luther King Committee and all the work you're going to be doing with the McKinney Center for Community and Economic right. Development. Amen. And I'm going to be calling you right after uh, the uh, we get off the air. So uh, you and Hayward and I got to sit down for a couple of minutes. We will be down. Uh, some of us will be down meeting with the governor's office tomorrow. So we'll, we'll be in touch, Fred. Thanks for everything. We appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you, Eddie, and I appreciate it. And God bless. And we just take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay, then. Thank you, brother. Okay, our next guest is uh, Congressman Bobby Scott. Congressman Scott? Hello? Hello there, Congressman Bobby Scott. Yeah, hey, Eddie, how you doing? Uh, man, you, must, you sound like you're on a... Uh, can you put, put the phone? Yeah, I just, I just picked up. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, my co-host is Hayward Evans. Yeah. Eric is on the boards, and I'm glad that in a short notice you agreed to to take uh, uh, this, my request to be on the air today. Uh, yeah, I always take your, wait a minute, I always take your request to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Let everybody know, you got, he bad, he bad. The congressman, <laughs> he always takes a request. But anyway, uh, uh, boy, a lot of strange things happening in politics, yeah. but I really want to, I want to find out, and, you know, I keep hearing uh, from some of your friends on the other side of the aisle about we need to get back every time there's an investigation about some wrongdoing. We need to get back to taking care of the people's business. And I think the last time we talked, you had passed, your committee had passed a significant number of bills. Can you just refresh our listeners' memory as to what the Democratic House has done? And, uh, I mean, we can't go through all 475, I think. But just uh, share with our listeners where things are politically in Washington right now. Well, uh, our committee has been working hard. We've got um, early in the in, in the session... We passed the on anti-discrimination bills. We passed the Paycheck Fairness, Older Americans who are working on pregnancy, um, uh, discrimination against pregnant women, um, LGBT, um, uh, anti-discrimination. Uh, we passed all those. We passed the um, uh, House passed a bill to protect multi-employer pensions. There are about a million people about to lose their pensions if we don't do anything. We passed legislation. Um, to uh, to fix it in the education space, we've been uh, fighting against uh, 
the committee has reported bills and um, uh, anti-discrimination and segregation of schools. <clears throat> we had a um, uh, it, we, Supreme Court has made it uh, difficult and it's challenging to try to come up with legislation to um, fight uh, segregation of schools. The GEO, mm-hmm. as a result of a study I asked for, found that uh, discrimination, excuse me, segregation of schools is as bad today as it was in the 1960s mm-hmm. and getting worse. Um, so we have legislation to try to turn that around. Uh, we've the committee reported a higher education bill to increase Pell Grants, two years uh, free community college, um, uh, make student loans uh, easier to pay off. We've also been uh, doing oversight with the with the Department of Education. They haven't been very they haven't been very uh, cooperative. But um, there's the program public service loan forgiveness program. You work in a public service uh, job for ten years, you can get the rest of your student loans discharged and forgiven. Mm-hmm. Well. Ninety-nine percent, about ninety-nine percent of the people after ten years who've been applying have been turned down. <laughs> oh, wow! Um, and we're trying, we're trying to, we're trying to fix that in schools. We, um, uh, we've been trying to, uh, as I said, fix uh, higher education, um, and and a program called short-term Pell. Right now, a Pell grant can only be used for a program that leads to a degree. If all it leads to is a good job. You can't use a Pell Grant. Uh, we we want to change that around so that uh, for quality programs, uh, like many of the community colleges run, uh, if you, if it leads to a good job, you could use your Pell Grant for for that. I mean, there are a lot of things we've been we've been doing. This is the um, um, uh, one year anniversary of legislation uh, that we passed on background checks and, and firearms, um, health care. We we we've um, Passed legislation to reduce drug prices. Uh, we're working on surprise billing. Within about a week, we'll uh, we should have passed legislation to um, uh, deal with surprise billing. We've been passing legislation to try to stop the, um, admi- the Trump administration from sabotaging the um, yeah. um, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, they've got legislation that's actually turned. We, you know, we after the uh, legislation passed. About 15 million people were able to get insurance, and that's a stark contrast to before we passed it. About a million people a year were losing their insurance. Uh, now 15 million more people have their insurance. People with pre-existing conditions can get insurance at the at the standard rate. I mean, there are a lot of improvements. Uh, we still need to make more improvements. But um, um, if you want to know how good Obamacare is, you just look at what the uh, Republicans did after 10 years of whining. They uh, two years ago they passed by two years ago they passed legislation that uh, CBO scored and found that if that thing became law, costs would go up 20 percent the first year. Twenty mm-hmm. some million fewer people would be insured. The insurance you get is worse than what you got, and people with pre-existing conditions will start losing some of their protection. And they passed it, and then went running over to the White House to have a rose, a rose garden celebration about mm-hmm. what they had done. Well, uh, we for, fortunately uh, John McCain killed it in the Senate, um, but um, uh, we can do uh, a lot better and better than that. And doing nothing is better than what what they had proposed. But we've been working um, uh, working hard. Old Americans Act uh, reauthorization has, has has passed. Child abuse prevention. All this has been passing the House, and it gets stuck over in the Senate. And um, 
uh, you got to ask the Republican senators why they can't uh, why they can't do anything, and they they accuse us of not doing anything. There's a um, psychological concept called projection, and that is what you think your problem is. Hmm. You project it and then criticize somebody else. The whole thing. The, politically, I think the worst example of that was when uh, the Democratic nominee for president, John Kerry, was a war hero, and um, uh, George W. Bush had. Um, was trying to explain how he got in the National Guard and why he didn't show up. And all of a sudden, you get the swift vote criticizing the military background of John Kerry. Well, where'd that come from? And so when they say we're not doing anything, the House has been passing bills right and left. The Senate hadn't done anything. And so they're going to try to accuse us of not doing anything when, uh, when in fact, um, uh, we've passed a lot of legislation um, and um, just in terms of, uh, of of income, we passed minimum wage bill. We passed uh, the PRO Act so people can negotiate for higher wages. Um, as I indicated, we've been um, fighting to maintain health, improve health care. There's just a lot of things we've been doing. Yeah, but with slippery Mitch McConnell, uh, how, how much can we get enacted? Well, that's up, that's up to him. But I, I'll tell you one thing, that uh, in November people will have an opportunity okay to express themselves, and and we will show what happens when you have Democratic leadership. You can pass the minimum wage bill. You can pass anti-discrimination legislation. You can uh, improve health care. You can protect people's pensions. You can have gun safety. Uh, And uh, it goes over to the Republican Senate. If we had a Democratic Senate, we could be considering a lot of this legislation. And the stark contrast was seen in Virginia last uh, November, a few months ago, uh, Democrats took over both the House and the Senate. We had a Repub- we had a Democratic governor, and as a direct result from that, uh, on just on gun safety, um, last summer, uh, right after the Virginia Beach tragedy, Governor Northam called the General Assembly in the session to do something about gun safety. Uh, the Republican-led House and Senate, on a straight party-line vote, um, voted to adjourn, having done nothing. Mm. Um, they they were in session for about ninety minutes. This year, with the, after the Democrats used that to whack them at the polls, uh, we um, now have passed several bills in terms of background checks, mm. uh, red flag laws, and uh, there will be a, a, a nice uh, um, legislative agenda addressing gun safety. It would not have been possible without the uh, without the election. We're improving health care. Uh, because of the Democratic uh, majority, um, we, we've um, in, they're voting to increase the minimum wage. Uh, both the House and the Senate, I think, have passed uh, diff- different bills, but bills to increase the minimum wage, all because people voted last November. So um, um, if, if the Senate decides not to do anything with the minimum wage, minimum wage hadn't been increased for 10 years. Hmm. It's so bad uh, now that uh, they did one study and showed that there's not a single county in the United States where a full-time minimum wage worker can afford a modest two-bedroom apartment. I didn't say San Francisco and Manhattan. Or Seattle. Not or Seattle. a single <laughs> county in the country yeah. where a full-time worker, a minimum wage worker, can afford a modest two-bedroom apartment. And the, interestingly, the $15 an hour bill that we about 2025 that we passed, um, there was virtually no discussion about whether the increase should be 15 or 1010 or 850 
um, there's no discussion. The question is whether there should be any increase at all. And the majority of the members of the House uh, said that it should be $15 an hour by 2025. Um, so what is the current federal minimum wage? $7.25. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and, and it's so bad that half the states have increased the minimum wage. And yeah. It's, 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 it's uh, almost comical watching these Republicans prance up and down bragging about the fact that there has been a significant increase across the country. Of, uh, of wages, and most of it has been uh, found at the lowest income levels. Well, that's true, and that's because states like Missouri, one guy from Missouri was bragging about the fact that the income has gone up in the, in, in the lower income range. Missouri increased the minimum wage. That's why the wages went up. Uh, they increased the minimum wage legislation that all the Republicans have been, or virtually all the Republicans have been uh, opposing. Then they take credit for uh, the Democrats passing a minimum wage bill. Um, but uh, people will have an opportunity to um, yes. uh, to, yeah. to weigh in in November. Absolutely. Now, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to ask you who you're supporting. I think you're going to support anybody that ends up being the, heading the Democratic ticket for president. Well, but, I, I've told people that I'm going to wait until after the Sanford, after, after South Carolina. Virginia uh, uh, votes on Super Tuesday. That's okay, uh, a week okay. from um, this upcoming Tuesday. And they've already told until, you not I'm to say. Wait until after after um, South Carolina, so you get a good lay of the land. Okay. Uh, before I make a decision. Okay. Now uh, there are a couple of other things that we want to talk to you about, and I'm going to come back to D.C. so I can meet with you on it. Uh, you know, they had the Great Society programs in the '60s, and uh, out of that, uh, Seattle re- uh, received a uh, uh, Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center that was brought here by re- the late Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney, and. Uh, uh, out of the Great Society went the same way as uh, Reconstruction. In 1980, Ronald Reagan killed all the manpower programs, funding for the manpower programs. So now we have a state representative that passed a bill to create a, a what we used where we used to live, a Central District Community Preservation Development Authority. We have some folks like from Amazon who say, hey, you know, this would be a good place to train our folks mm-hmm. to get into the high-paying technology jobs and then uh, we also have a shortage of people in construction. They haven't been letting our people journey out. And what I was uh, thinking is the state legislator didn't treat us very well. We could put a new roof on, but no money to operate and get folks uh, trained. So we're going to be appealing to the private sector as well. Is there any funding available to support programs like this through the House Education and Labor Committee that you chair? Um, one is, one is uh, what they call WEO, um Workforce Investment Opportunity Act. That's where uh, job training money comes in, and we. Uh, uh, the way that works is, you, is money goes out for job training, and it goes to the local board whose job it is to figure out what jobs people need training for, and that's going to be different in Southeast Virginia than in Montana, and different in Dallas, Texas, than Seattle, Washington. These right. are different jobs. It's up to them to use the money the best way they can. There's no way that anybody in Washington uh, has any business trying to figure out what jobs are needed, what kind of job training is needed for Seattle, Washington. Okay. Um, and so that that's that's one. The other is uh, we still have the community action agencies, um, which uh, coordinate a lot of the um, um, social programs. Yeah. I know our our. Uh, no, we're talking about economic. We're not. We're talking yeah. about economic. We're not talking about social. 
because okay. our, our community action programs have gone to the wayside, really, especially ones that would be serving African descendants yeah. of the United States they're, enslaved. They're, I mean, they're, they're pretty much gone. So, uh, well, so it's for up. We need to find out who's on the workforce training board. Is that what uh, you said? Right. It's um, under the um, Workforce Investment Opportunity Act, we, uh, we, W-I-O-A, we owe Okay. Uh, that's, that's where the job training money goes. And it's, it's really their responsibility to project out uh, what kind of jobs uh, will be there. And, and the job situation is that we, we, we've been having a lot of hearings on what's called the future of work. A lot of jobs that exist today didn't exist 30 years from, uh, ago. And 30 years from now, a lot of jobs that will exist don't exist now. Yeah. And, and so you're shooting at a moving target. Um, and we need to make sure that people are trained for the jobs that uh, will actually actually exist. I mean, there's a, a lot of people had good jobs as switchboard operators. Yes. Not too long ago. I mean, yeah, right. you know, a lot of people, un, un, if you're under, under 25, 30 years old, you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, well, you know, we have Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft right here mm-hmm. and other technology companies. And we've had some of the employees, and I'll give a shout out more, who is our chair of the Martin Luther King Committee. She's a one of the managers at Amazon, she's walked through the building and she saw some things that click with her. And we're going to be encouraging black employees from Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon. At Amazon, it's called uh, uh, Black Employee Network. And a matter of fact, Angela Rye will be the women's history speaker in a couple of weeks. I was a black history speaker on January 31st. Mm-hmm. So we're having these people come in and actually see the physical building. It does need some work. But it's something that we stopped the gentrification because uh, they were taking the whole community. Yeah. So we'll look up that information up, uh, Congressman. And we certainly appreciate you taking the time to keep our uh, listening audience abreast of what's going on. And all these programs are archived on urbanforumnw.com. And I have to ask Eric when it'll be up. So we want to make sure that I have your interview. I want to make sure that's dis- uh, displayed on my Facebook page so people can hear you even though they didn't listen today. But they can go to the urbanforumnw.com and hear it. So, Congressman Robert Cortez, Scott, uh, the people at the Filipino Community Center of Seattle are waiting for you to come out here. Yes, they are. All right, let me know. <laughs> let me know. Give me, send me an invitation. Okay, all right, I certainly will. I'll talk, talk to my friends Velma Valoria, Emma Katagi, and uh, Velma Valoria, and I'm sure we can work something out. All right. Okay, sir, thank you very thank much, you. and have a good day. We appreciate you. Sounds good. Okay, we're going to take a break, man. We're at 241, taking a break. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. On the path to good health and well-being, Alternative Talk 1150 is the station for you. All right, we're back. Hey, whatever's in Eddie Wright back at Urban Forum Northwest. Before we go to my next, our next guest, 
Keith Tucker. I just want to say that the Northwest African American Museum is proud to present Descendants series, and that will be uh, Saturday, February 29th at 2 p.m. And then uh, the city of Seattle is having an MLK Unity Day. Uh, it's, it's free and open to the public. It'll be Friday, February 28th, tomorrow. The doors open at 530. It'll be at a town hall, Seattle, 1119 8th Avenue. And I wish I could pronounce the author's name, but Gioma uh, Olu. So anyway, uh, I have to get uh, my friend Mart Idaho to get me squared away on that one. Uh, so anyway, uh, Keith Tucker, Hip Hop is Green, big event coming up on uh, March 6th. So why don't you share with our listeners what you got going on there? I see it's going to be five chefs and a lot of entertainment. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So... We're going to have a plant-based expo. The Hip Hop is Green plant-based expo is happening on March 6th at the Fisher Pavilion. Some of the attractions are going to be a women's plant-based body fit showcase. Uh, We're going to have performances. We're going to have speakers. We're going to have really, really good plant-based food that people can taste. Uh, From 10 to 4, is the time where we're going to have all of our young people from different schools from all around Seattle that are going to attend, and that's a special time for them from 10 to 4. And then the public is invited from 4 to 8 to come, and that's going to be very special because we're going to have Queen Afua, who is a a worldwide legendary uh, sacred healer. She's going to be there, and that's when the uh, the uh, bodybuilding fitness showcase is going to happen. So. There's a lot of things going on that day, so it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And it's going to be where, Keith? And where's the information for people to be able to get? Yeah, so it's at the Fisher Pavilion, Seattle Center. Mm. And uh, people can just go to our website, hiphopisgreen.com, and just click register. Okay. And, and the tickets are free. And we'll announce this again next week if we're not preempted because uh, Washington University of Washington women's team is playing. We don't know uh, what uh, time they'll be playing. But uh, okay. so uh, now who are the chefs, Keith? Yeah, we have uh, uh, James Beard winning uh, chef, Bryant Terry, who's going to be doing a demo for us. Uh, and then we have Chef Greg Brown all the way from Baltimore. He runs a, a, a vegan soul food restaurant called The Land of Kush. And he's going to be doing a demo for us as well. So, yeah. And then Chef Ariel, our 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 national chef for Hip Hop is Green is going to be running our Hip Hop is Green food pavilion where you'll be able to try different assortments of uh, plant-based foods. Well, that's great. And then there's entertainment as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the top women, I'll just say one of the top MCs in the world, Saw Rock is going to be here, and she's going to be performing. Then we got a performance by Gray. He's from Atlanta. He's one of the top performers in the country. We're just, you know, blessed to have some really, really amazing people who not only live this health and wellness life, but they perform it on stage, too. That's great. Where can people get information, Keith, on the event on, on the Fisher Pavilion on March 6th? Yeah, so hiphopisgreen.com. Uh, you can go to Instagram. We're hiphopisgreen at, uh, on Instagram, too. We're promoting every day. We encourage uh, different organizations to bring your organization there as a field trip. So like the YWMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, different church organizations can come. Uh, health and wellness is, is probably one of the most important things that we have, and we have to start focusing in on that 
as African-American community because we are the ones who have suffered the most from diabetes, cancer, heart attack, stroke, and all of the rest. So this is why we do what we do and why it's so important, Eddie. Well, that's great, Keith. And I know uh, we had a meeting at Garfield, and I saw you coming out of Garfield, so you had something hooked up at Garfield as well, huh? Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, they didn't get their paperwork in. So. Okay. <laughs> well, Hayward's been working on paperwork for two days, so he knows yeah. all about it. Amen. Okay, then, Keith, thanks for everything, man. And we all, we'll give you a shout-out next week. And uh, maybe if we're not preempted, we can have one of your rock stars on the on the program. Perfect. Talk okay. to you Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was Keith Tucker, Hip Hop is Green. Big event coming up on March 6th at the Fisher Pavilion at the Seattle Center. It sounds like it's going to be a very exciting mm-hmm. uh, event for uh, displaying plant-based uh, foods. Uh, but I want to let you know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuharasi, Take Bar Group, LLC, with Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett. Stephanie Ogle does our website. Remember, every Thursday night, LaTanya and Michelle, will, Sisters Rock the Arts, will welcome you to Rumba Notes Lounge for some of the best live music in town. And uh, my friend Brian Cole, Cole Cleaning Service, was well, almost spring cleaning time, so give Brian Cole a call if you want your carpets done right at 206-721-7723. And we have, uh, I was a black history speaker at uh, Mercer Island yesterday, and had an opportunity to talk to 1,400 students. And I didn't get a chance to go into as much detail because there was such an outstanding uh, uh, slideshow about uh, the associate principal's trip to to Ghana and actually uh, shared with the students exactly what it looked like to be in the castle. Is that what they call it? Yes. Because you've been there, right? Slave castle, yes. Yeah, so uh, that was very, very uh, moving to see that. And then I, I was going to share with them, and I asked them to look up on Wikipedia the number of African-American office holders we've had during Reconstruction, almost 2,000. And, boy, I tell you, that, that Andrew Johnson just wiped everything out. And I also said, where would we be today if uh, we would have kept that and also yeah. if we wouldn't have been murdered by the thousands and uh, places like Black Wall Street destroyed? Mm-hmm. So we have uh, uh, Ter- Terrell Jackson from... Catfish Corner on Terrell Jackson, Hayward Evans, and Eddie Rye here. Hey, Terrell. Want to thank you very much for your service uh, a couple of weeks ago for uh, the uh, Black History Tree Lighting Ceremony with the reception at Holgate Church of uh, Christ. And uh, the catfish went first. I can first. just say that. Bam. <laughs> catfish was gone quickly. Yeah, so... Uh, so, yeah, so they want to say, well, make sure you have that catfish the next time we yeah. have an event. So I think we got something coming up on April 4th, so we'll let you know about that. But I know you got some expansion plans, so I just want you to take a few minutes and talk about your business, where you're located, how people can order something to go, how, and what you are. you also catering a lot too, right? Yeah, for sure. We do a lot of catering for the community. Um, we're currently located in Skyway, at the, actually at the old Zills building in Skyway. The address is 11805 Renton Avenue. You know, and um, we're being welcome back to the Central District with open arms. We're back on the corner of 23rd and Jackson, bringing Kevin's Corner back to the community over there also. So big things happening for us in, 20, in 2020. We have a new location in Everett coming in in the next couple in the, in the next month or so. And um, you can order. We Like you said, we do catering events for the whole community. 
We do catering events. You can contact us through Facebook. We have Instagram, Catfish Corner Express. We have a um, website, catfishcorner.com. You know, and with the community support, we're going to keep on moving up. Well, I know one thing. When you told Pastor Manaway that you was moving on 23rd and Jackson, he said, we well, are welcome. Because <laughs> <laughs> he can walk up there from Tabernacle to get us catfish yeah. now. There you go, man. Yeah, he was happy to see you. <laughs> man, thank you. It's going to be a really exciting year. Yeah, really that's exciting great. Year. So why don't you, you gave us uh, some information in terms of how people can get in touch. Now, there's a phone number there where people can call call in and get orders to go and everything yeah, like that? Yeah, there's a phone number. To, um, the phone number to the business is 206-735-7084. That's the best way to contact us. We, um, we answer all the time. We're open from 11 to 8 every day on Fish Fry Fridays, which is every Friday. We stay up until 9 o'clock. All right, now. Okay, so is there anything else? You have, anybody you want to shout out? Man, I just want to shout out to the city of, the city of Seattle and you too, Mr. Eddie Ryder, for having my back, supporting me since I was on the tent on the sidewalk and supporting my grandparents since 1985. Man, we, Man. Just, think the greatest, we just thank Seattle. Man. We really thank Seattle. Okay, well, we're going to make sure we keep letting people know about you and letting them know when they get ready for some catfish where they can come get it. Because you got the, some of the best greens in town too, red Man, beans and you. rice thank and hush you. puppy. I'm getting hungry already. I just had oatmeal this morning. You know you just come see me, man. You know I'll take care of you. I know you have been. I sure appreciate it. Okay, Terrell, thanks a lot, man. Thank you guys. Enjoy. Thank you. Okay, now. All right. So uh, we're going to take our – we got to take this next break. So go right ahead, Eric. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, we're back. Just want to let everybody know uh, it's another sad occasion. Miss T. Marie Floyd has passed away. She's on the front page of both the medium and the facts this week. And she was a very successful individual, very caring individual. And I remember I wasn't really that heavily involved in education, but I remember people say they'd have an issue with a school or something like that. Did you talk to T. Marie? So obviously she was a wise counselor to a lot of folks. And uh, she, her funeral will be, uh, service will be, uh, on Friday, the 28th at 11 a.m. at First AME Church at uh, 1420, 1522 14th Avenue. Uh, the senior pastor is my good friend, Carrie Anderson. And then uh, Bishop Reginald C. Witherspoon is having a big event. We're going to have him on because this event is about three or four weeks on March 27th. And I got to get my tickets. As a matter of fact, Angela T. Rye is a member of Mount Calvary Christian Center. That's her church. And Bishop Witherspoon is her pastor and her counselor is the First Lady Laura Witherspoon, and her friends are the Witherspoon children. <laughs> so so we're pretty tight. And then also sad to see that uh, I kind of grew up with this guy, Byron Perkins, 
Uh, he's been around for a long time. He's, he, he's passed away. And then Juan Pruitt was around here for a while. Uh, Juan Pruitt uh, has also passed away. He's down in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, uh, doing a little research uh, in speaking at the, the Black History event at Bursa Island High School yesterday, you know, when you think about almost 2,000 uh, blacks that held office uh, after, re- after uh, Reconstruction. In the South. In the South. I mean, more in the South than in the North. Yeah. I mean, uh, p- people, you got to really Google a list of African-American office holders during Reconstruction. And if they, this would have, if it hadn't been for that Andrew Johnson president who got impeached, uh, who uh, turned the Klan loose, removed the federal troops, yeah. and allowed, uh, I guess I could say, somebody of the ilk of uh, Breitbart, uh, 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 ancient Breitbart yeah. loose, uh, we lost a lot of ground. Yeah. In addition to that, the 40 acres on a mule. So I would really encourage everybody to go and see our greatness and what we were doing uh, during Reconstruction, mm-hmm. only to have it snatched from us. Yeah. So it's it's worth looking at. And I know it's just Black History Month, but this is some knowledge we need to share with everybody to show them how great we were. Uh, the other thing we're working on diligently is uh, trying to make sure that we have that facility open. And I'm glad that uh, Pastor Manaway and uh, uh, Pastor Willis and others have formed a uh, nonprofit for the McKinney Coalition. So we'll be able to receive uh, funding while we debate and uh, deliberate with the state yeah. on being able to actually uh, turn that into a facility where we are training people for meaningful jobs with Amazon, with Facebook, with Microsoft and other technology companies, and then the pre-apprenticeship program. Matter of fact, Barb Armstead is going to set a meeting up with the president of AGC so we can talk about fulfilling some of the vacancies that they have and getting some of our folks out of the journey and get them the journey into a a uh, uh, from apprenticeship to an uh, a journey. Yeah, and then and then Congressman Bobby Scott, he said Workforce Investment Opportunity Act. He said the money's there. We can go get that money with the board. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to, and also anybody else that has any ideas, and we will be having tours of the building with some of the people uh, who we're hoping to invest. And as soon as Hayward, with his good pensmanship, uh, go ahead and, and get these letters together and these proposals together, we will be submitting some proposals. Yeah. And we want to thank... Uh, the help that Representative Sharon Santos and others gave us, it was her brainchild. And even though the state, you know, we went from $10 million to less than $1 million, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how other communities fared, but we didn't fare well at all. But that's, you know, we're going to keep pushing. You know, yeah. we got to engage uh, the Microsofts, Amazons, the Facebooks, and others to let them know that uh, there is a possibility of us having a training ground uh, for employees to go right in uh, and deliver uh, uh, for those companies like right away. And the other thing I'd look at, too, is a lot of things are happening with this contravirus thing. It's really uh, putting a hold on a lot of things. Uh, my brother's in the hospital. God bless him. Reggie Rye, but I don't think I can walk into Harborview right now. There you go. Okay, so I'm sad to say it. I have Grubhub or somebody sending me some food, <laughs> but I can't make it. And I'm really afraid to go to Los Angeles to visit Angela, too, because I don't want to get on the plane. So anyway, Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye will be with you next week if UW is not playing during our hour on the air.